Hello, friends. My name's Tammy Simon, and I'm the founder of Sounds True, and I want to welcome you to the Sounds True podcast, Insights at the Edge. I also want to take a moment to introduce you to Sounds True's new membership community and digital platform. It's called Sounds True One. Sounds True One features original, premium, transformational docu-series, community events, classes to start your day and relax in the evening, special weekly live shows, including a video version of Insights at the Edge with an after-show community question and answer session with featured guests. I hope you'll come join us, explore, come have fun with us, and connect with others. You can learn more at join.soundstrue.com. I also want to take a moment and introduce you to the Sounds True Foundation, our nonprofit that creates equitable access to transformational tools and teachings. You can learn more at soundstruefoundation.org. And in advance, thank you for your support. Hello, Sounds True friends. In this episode of Insights at the Edge, my guest is Gina Breedlove. Let me tell you a little bit about Gina. Gina is a sound healer, an award-winning vocalist, composer, grief doula, actor, and author from Brooklyn, New York. She created the program Vibration of Grace, Healing Through Sound, helping thousands of people worldwide rediscover and deepen their power. Gina's performance credits include The Lion King Stage Musical, as a recording artist, she's created three original albums and also tours performing her own work. With Sounds True, Gina Breedlove is the author of a new book. It's called The Vibration of Grace, Sound Healing Rituals for Liberation. Gina, welcome. Thank you. <laughs> Thank you so much. It's so good to see you, Tammy. It's so good to have a voice meet voice as well as a fellow lover of the true sound of a human voice that's in tune with itself and in tune with the world. Tell me, how did you become a sound healer? Tell me about that journey. <laughs> well, um, thank you. Thank you for the invitation. I um I began doing this work on my own body when I was very young. I didn't think of it as sound healing. I just thought of it as, you know, my thing, something that I did um to bring ease and um to calm to calm my spirit. Um in my home, um there was uh, so much grief and um and um and it was a constantly um unstable atmosphere and i um i remember my first conscious memory of sounding into my body just to to calm my breath slow my heart rate i was 5 years old and it was um an intrinsic knowing i think you know looking back but also i was guided um by a being a spirit um a presence that i have come to think of as grace and um and so sounding humming toning singing to myself um holding my body while i did it um um i think i know is the reason why i'm sitting in front of you today feeling whole and complete and able. Now, you mentioned this being called grace. Is it fair to say, is grace like your spirit guide or how would you describe this presence you call grace? My my feelings about grace, my um, my idea of who grace is, has shifted somewhat over the years. Um, from this present moment, I've come to think of grace as, as something that is available as a spirit, um, a presence that is available to everyone. Um, the presence of grace, the possibility of grace, of accessing um, grace. And um, but when I was a little girl, I thought of grace as my personal um, guide. Absolutely. Um, you know, really, Timmy, I didn't, I didn't distinguish 
uh, grace from um, from the sound of my own voice. Like, except that I, I um, Grace's voice was our instruction or guidance was always very calm and clear, and um, and sometimes um, full of technologies that I would not have a language for at five, six, seven, eight, nine years old. Um, uh, and so that's how I would distinguish. But I didn't. It just it wasn't something separate from me, um, the energetic. Um, in my home, I was, you know, I um, there was so much neglect going on. So also that meant that no one was telling me that, hey, you're crazy to be having conversations with this being or, or what you think you're hearing is not real. And so it afforded me this opportunity to have this relationship, this ongoing relationship with this presence um, that... Um, that would um, bring rituals to me, you know, around humming, around toning. Um, and later on, as I got older, soul retrieval, pulling, um, these technologies that I would not know if it were not for grace, because I didn't have another teacher. So, yeah. And um, and so I started on my own body. And uh I was a musician, I am a musician, but chiefly I was singing and I was writing songs and I was touring with other artists. And I thought of my sound work as something that was very separate and um, and just for me. And uh, as Grace would have it, I got the opportunity to offer to work on someone one evening who was in my home after a dinner party and um and I'm I'm a mama my daughter was in bed uh this was about 20 years ago and um this person was having uh what appeared to be an emotional breakdown and I heard very clearly Gina you can help her and uh and so I started to I mean I asked her permission and I started to sound into her body and I laid hands on her body and I toned in her body and I allowed myself to be guided and she slowly came to quiet and um and I thought oh great you know it's wonderful to share this this practice of mine and she told people <laughs> and so people started to call me you know um i hear you do this thing you know and um and so that's how it began um to like that's how i began to call myself uh, a sound healer and a grief doula like years in um um and then i i noticed that my voice when i was singing um at concerts folk would always move grief um, and if I was singing a happy song, there were happy tears. And if it was a sad song, <laughs> it was, you know, it just seemed to be that that's what my sound was for. Um, so that's the very long answer to that question. Now, there's a lot I want to talk to you about, Gina, but right here at the beginning, for somebody who perhaps has never experimented with their own sound being a resource for them in some way, especially at this time when so many people find themselves anxious or destabilized by this or that, things that are happening in the world. How could someone begin to experiment with their own sound making? I think that um, humming is... Um... A lovely point of entry, if you are just beginning to experiment with leaning into the sound of your own voice uh, to elicit calm. Um, also, it can help folk to move grief out of the body, humming um, a low hum, a soft hum. Um, and, um, and I often guide folk to soften or close their eyes and just hum humming into the body, um, placing a hand on your body if you have, you know, everything is is according to your access needs, of course. But if you are able to place a hand on your throat or on your face and feel the vibration of your own sound on your chest. And humming is a beautiful point of entry um, um, to begin to explore, like using the sound of your voice to um, to bring you to place. Can you make some humming sounds for me and just show me what you mean? Let's do some humming. Yes, absolutely. Would you like me to guide you? Uh, I want you to demonstrate. You want me to? <laughs> okay. And so inhaling through the nose and exhaling through the mouth. First orienting breath, right? 
inhaling and drawing your awareness to your body as you are able, maybe starting with your shoulders and moving down the front body and then up the back body past your calves and your thighs and the lower back and your spine, vertebrae by vertebrae, ascending to the back of your skull. And again, I feel like it's imperative to take a few moments to breathe and to orient yourself. And then inhaling and on the breath, exhaling, hum, hum, hum. Um, repetitive humming um, and just it doesn't have to be musical it can just be hum 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 the sound of the humming and your own voice and just also then after a while like maybe sending the hum to other parts of your body you know there's like a whole world of things you can do with a hum and for those listeners who are like, yeah, I get it. This seems to help, but can you offer me some explanation? And in the book, The Vibration of Grace, you talk about how this can help develop vagal tone. And I wonder if you can explain that for people who want to connect their left brain dots to why this simple act of humming makes them feel so much more calm and centered. Yes, thank you for the question. Um, well, you know, I mean, sound, the efficacy of sound on the body is there's so much science to support it. Um, my point of entry for sound has always been through spirit. Uh, and there is a nerve in the body. Um, it's the longest nerve in the body. It's called the vagus nerve, which is Latin for wanderer. And it's called the wanderer because it touches like every organ of the body uh, except the spleen. So it journeys around the body. Body. And the vagus nerve directly connects with the parasympathetic nervous system, um, which is, you know, your in uh, broad strokes, your flight or fight response. And um, and so a hum, a hum and married with the breathing, with deep breathing, as deep as you have access to, will tell the vagus nerve to relax. You know, humming and breathing will calm the body, it drops the shoulders, and the vagus nerve will um, begin to soften. And it sends messages to the rest of the body, to the organs of the body. This is a safe place um, that we can rest here. Now, the thing about humming is something that I employ, whether physically I'm in a safe space or not, um, because I know that it's the quickest way to calm my body tell my my nervous system that i'm well that all is well and then i get access to my my wisdom so when i'm not in a safe space which could be i mean i feel like we are living in um these all of a sudden type times you know where there's a sunny day and in a moment there's a flash flood i'm from brooklyn right recently brooklyn has been flooding brooklyn has never flooded right so all of a sudden like um uh, we are in these moments where we have to very quickly access our wisdom, you know, access our knowing. And um, and when the body is um, activated, we can't. It's hard to think. It's hard to remember anything. So a hum in those moments. I have, I have been practicing for so long that almost instantly my body goes into, oh, I know what to do, you know, and when I'm faced with some unknown um, possible danger. Humming breathing, I'm like, oh, okay, who do I need to call? Where do I need to be? You know, um, how may I be of service? Like all of those things can happen once we get our bodies back. Now, you mentioned, Gina, in addition to being a sound healer, and I mentioned in the intro being a grief doula and how you work with sound and rituals to help grief move through. And I was very moved in the vibration of grace when you wrote at one point that grace this figure told you that one day people will gather regularly and i'm quoting from the book now to engage in grief letting rituals 
that it will be as common as people sitting around a table to play cards. And I took special note of those sentences because in my own sort of perception of things, I've had that thought that these collective gatherings for grief and grace, for grief letting, I didn't have that term, grief letting, until encountering your work, that this would be very, very important as we move through this time that we're in. And I think it's because I heard from a, a Sounds True author just briefly here, a woman named Carla McLaren, that grief in her book, The Language of Emotions, is an emotion that's actually meant to be experienced with other people and collectively. We're not meant to just always grieve on our own. And I was talking with her about how, in general, our culture seems so illiterate about grief. And she mentioned, well, that's because we don't know how to do it together with other people, and grief is a collective emotion. So I'd love to hear more from you about grief-letting rituals, how you understand them, and how you see them serving us collectively in this time that we're in. Yes, and that book sounds amazing. Um, and uh, thank you for the question. I um, I was graced to meet um, the incredibly beautiful spirit that was Soban Fusome. And Soban Fusome, um, as you probably know, uh, was a grief doula. She didn't use that language, um, but she traveled the world teaching people how to grieve. And she um, was from uh, Burkina Faso. And um, as she shared her story, um, you know, the elders of her village said, you have to go and teach folk how to do that. And um, and so um, I um, I began to um, lean into and turn toward um, more rituals around grief after I met uh, Sister Banfu in 2013. And um, and then, you know, um, using um, the technologies that I was receiving from Grace, um, just downloading these rituals um, that would help folk uh, to source, uh, to locate, to find, and then to move it through. Right. Um, sometimes I use the language of evicting, you know, evicting this grief that has taken up residence uh, in the body, um, in the organs, around the heart um, to free up the space. Um, to receive joy and um, to deepen our knowing of our vocation. Um, so in the book, I guide folk um, to having a good cry. Like, you know, like I um, I talk about um, um, how gorgeous it is and how freeing it is to honor the body's desire to weep, to wail. And, um, and I've come to understand that um that the body doesn't care why it's weeping right and so some points of entry um can be the saddest movie you've ever seen right i mean i do encourage folk to choose a movie that has an ending where folk get what they want like let's leave it you know in an upward spiral um but if you're watching um someone's experience on screen and you feel grief begin to move um i encourage folks to lean in right it 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 um, the mind, it's the mind that starts to categorize and, and check the process of grief with all kinds of narratives, right? Um, some of the narratives are, I'm too blessed um, to be sad, or at least my life is better than what is happening, you know, across, around the globe, or all of these reasons not to allow yourself to tap in to the heaviness that um, you're carrying that needs to move. This organic response to loss, um, to horror, um, to fear. And so um, I do, I talk to folk about having that song on repeat, that touches your heart, that opens your spirit, that allows um, a movie, a psalm, a poem. Um, finding the thing, um, uh, for me, it's um, Alice Walker's The Color Purple, like the last 20 minutes of the film when the sisters are reunited after over 30 years, you know, and they start to move toward each other. When I am in a place uh, where I will sometimes get as well, where I can't access my own grief, I will fast forward to the last 20 minutes of The Color Purple. And then when I am sobbing, um, I'm able to lean into like what it is I'm carrying and holding and allow it to move. Um, 
And, um, and then I am able to like, oh, what is queuing up for me? What is it that I'm holding that I need to um, have these feelings for? So um, that is one ritual, uh, you know, find that piece of art that, um, that will help you. Um, um, in, um, I have a kitchen table grief ritual where you can invite folk to sit with you and to be witnessed, do the community grief letting that, um, that the author shared about. And, um, and that's harder, of course, particularly for those of us who are weaned on um, grief being anathema. Uh, grief isn't sexy, grief is weak. Um, you know, in our country, um, that is the prevailing thought um about grief and grieving who's got time keep it moving um and then of course how were you shaped around grief you know what were your um family's responses to grief and grieving and were you allowed to express grief as as you were growing up like there's so many reasons and so many reasons for grief suppression that we know about legacies of grief suppression um um you know me um as an african-american uh my father's saying to me, I'll give you something to cry about, was his way of trying to protect me. You know, um, you got to toughen up, right? Was the message, was the constant message. So we have these things to unlearn. And um, and sometimes it's easier to unlearn it in private grief-letting rituals uh, before we can say, hey, come on, let's sit together, let's witness each other, and let's move this energy. It is a community ritual, um, but I think the point of entry um, would be for many to start with your own body. You teach this practice you call pulling yeah. as a way to help us move through grief. Can you share what pulling is, how yeah. we do it? Um, as it comes through my altar, because pulling is an old ritual, right? Um, some people call it cutting, and it is... Um, 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 a literal physical act of reaching to your body as you are able. If you're not able, you can do it in your mind um, and pulling energy that gets caught, that gets stuck. I'll use my throat as an example. And um, in cutting rituals, um, generally um, folk will um, um, find um, or locate um, a heavy thought, a narrative that keeps cycling, um, a hard happening with someone, an apology not asked for, not given, the weight of the unsaid, like all of these things that you're carrying um, in your body. And you know you're carrying it because your mind will cycle it often. Right? Even if the relationship is ended or um, the person who harmed you is no longer in your life or has gone on into the spirit realm. And so um, you will work with one happening at a time. And um, and um, I mean, there's so much more to it. You make sure that you're comfortable. You prepare a meal for yourself. Um, you have water nearby. You might have an accountability person where you're like, listen, I'm about to do this ritual. Please check on me in about an hour and a half, that kind of thing. And then um, as it comes through my altar, I use... Um, chakra science, yogic science. It's not my lineage at all, but the chakra body is such an incredibly and exhaustively beautiful, you know, as you know, mapping of the body. And I go from energy center to energy center of the body, beginning at the root. And I begin to think of the thing that I'm pulling or the person. And again, I'll use my throat. And you know, you um, prepare your body with some deep breathing and making sure that you're held and relaxed and you feel safe. And then you begin the ritual and you pull. And you, um, what the idea is, the images is that you're pulling um, a, a cord from a, a spool of thread, right? So you're seeing it unravel, right? So this also engages your imagination, your visioning practice. And um, and as you pull and think about the person, I'll use a person that you are pulling, you think about everything. You think about um, memories that were wonderful, right? And memories that were awful, terrible. Um, and you pull, you just keep pulling and you pull until um, for some people, um, the, the thread will just there'll be no more. It'll unravel all the way. Uh, for some folk, know, they'll know that they're ready to evict the energy because they'll begin cycling through the same memory. Um, um, and sometimes the rope will just go taut. Like while you are in this ritual, your body will know. And then when you get to the end, um, 
instead of cutting, um, I think cutting is, is it leaves roots. Um, that's what I see. Um, when I'm weeding, I pull a weed up from the root. And so it is the same concept. And then you extract what it is. Uh, often it can be like a hook um, and then you extract it and you gather up what you have evicted from your body and you toss it away from you. Um, and then you quickly turn towards your body and you put in something wonderful, right? Um, if you love your name, put your name there. Um, a, a poem that you love, um, um, language that you love, a song, something that is yours. Because that is the intention of the ritual, to evict energy that does not belong to you and place yourself there. And through that, you gain uh, sovereignty, right? You gain possession of your body again. Um, in some cutting rituals as well, when you pull the cord, um, you're advised to send love through the cord, especially if you're pulling a person to the person. I advise against that. I think that um, it's really powerful to stay with yourself, right? And send that love to yourself. I believe in sending love and forgiveness. Those are gorgeous principles and rituals and not before you're ready. And I have found that often folk are not ready to do that. They do it because they're told to do it or this rush to being and feeling better or creating a soft space between you and the person you're evicting. But I think that there's time for that. I say you first um, in this ritual. Do you know one thing uh, that I'm curious about because this term eviction is very interesting to me, evicting grief. And, you know, I think for for some people, this idea of, yes, you know, I just want to move through this. I want this out of my body system. But then I think of someone who perhaps has gone through some type of loss of a loved one. And it's a little bit like, but wait, I don't want to lose the connection I have to this person that I love so much. That's not what I'm evicting, am I? And I wonder if you can just clarify that for a grieving person. I can. Thank you. That's such a great question. The ritual of pulling, I would um, turn toward when it is energy that I absolutely want to release. Now, it doesn't mean that you're releasing the person. What it will do or can do or often does, is creates um, an opportunity for perspective. Um, sometimes the people that we're pulling are so close that we can't see clearly. Um, we can't see them, right? Um, there's no division. And so pulling allows spaciousness. It allows the person to be outside of your auric field, uh, which in my tradition with grace is where folk should be. Um, even I would say um, my daughter, right, who is, you know, my love. I need to to have her where I can see her, you know, to, to allow and respect her agency um, and to stop meddling, <laughs> you know, <laughs> in her life, right? So like that spaciousness that we need um, with the folk that we love or, or the folk that we have loved, um, it can be met through pulling. Now, if, you know, um, and, and it's complex, right? Sometimes the people that harmed us are the people we love the most, you know, I certainly have had those experiences. And so in that instance, I will pull a happening. Um, um, I write about my father in the book. And so I've done pulling rituals around things that happened between us that harmed me greatly. Um, and, um, and it did not stop me from loving him it helped me to have perspective about his actions and his actions did not get to live in my body. His actions don't get to have real estate in my body for the rest of my life. And so that's when I would employ pulling and, um, and I still get to love him, you know, and I still get to work with the complexity of what our relationship has been. Does that answer the question? You know, I think I'm still left. I'm thinking of someone I know who uh, lost their son in a in a tragic accident, Easy. and I'm thinking of their grieving process. And so it wasn't that there was a harm; it was just that there was a tragic loss, and mm -hmm. how they might want to make sure to keep that bond and the deep love and care. Yes in in their life at the same time help grief move through 
Yes, thank you for the clarity. I would not, I would not turn toward pulling for that happening. Um, I would not turn toward pulling. I would, um, I would use other rituals for grieving, and you know, I have, um, I've, I've been graced to work with another client. Uh, with a with a person who um, who had a very similar happening with her son, and um, and so in that work in our work together, there is this understanding that your life is different now forever. Your life is different forever, and this grief will be with you forever. And so, allowing yourself to have that to be with that, you know, to take the time that you need, um, to not feel rushed through it, um, to, to honor it, you know, and which is honoring the love and it's honoring the loss. And, um, and then, so therefore that takes time. Um, and from, and I know that grief changes, the quality of it will change over years. Um, the loss will be there. Um, and in the space, where um, the person is not there physically anymore and you feel like there's a, a hole in your chest, you can place um, memories there, right? Intentionally. Um, um, the, the, the woman that I've been graced to walk beside has all of these funny, wonderful memories about her child, right? And so she will place those there. She will, you know, um, like a like a salve, you know, like a bomb. Um, she has an altar for him in her home. Um, and, um, and when she feels like today is a day that I'm just gonna stay in bed and caretake myself, she does, you know? Um, and so I would, I think that if I was having trouble moving grief around it, then I would move into different grief letting rituals so that I can access it and allow it to move like the river that it is, you know? Um, and so that's, that's how I would hold that. That's very helpful and clarifying about pulling being used perhaps when there's some grievance or the grief is somehow related to something in the past that felt like there was some kind of harm involved or a broken relationship or something like that. If I yes. understand correctly. No, you do. Yeah. And, 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 and it can be actually used for many things, not just those things that feel so weighty and so heavy. It's the conversation you had, you know, five years ago with someone that you can't get out of your head, right? right. The idea is to absolutely evict narratives you know i um and cuz there's so many other ways to use our chi to use our energy to use our life force right we we want to um clear that space for wonderful things for for you know for beauty and for glory now gina you had a big event a big life-altering event happened for you in 2019, if I have that correctly, which was uh, yeah. an unexpected, uh, all of a sudden, these are the all of a sudden times, uh, an, an unexpected health challenge. And yeah. here you are, you're this, you know, terrific sound healer, moving energy through your body, teaching others. And your own uh, health challenge arrives at your doorstep. And I wonder if you can share a bit about that and the uh, original diagnosis and then your your journey with it, if that's okay. I absolutely can. Thank you. I In 2019, I was diagnosed uh, with chronic leukemia. And um, I, um, oh my goodness, Tammy. <laughs> <laughs> the journey. First of all, I mean, I had to do so much work with my ego, just, just like, you know, um, you know, I just like, I, I have been in the, my work, my vocation has been holding space for other folk and, and doing my work as a healer for so long. And I, um, and I think that I had gotten to this place 
where I felt like I had to be and had to appear like um, fully well and fully ready all the time. You know, that I couldn't get sick and um, a lot of pressure. Jesus. Oh, my God. It's so much pressure, you know, and some of it is shaping and some of it, frankly, is is just where we live. You know, it's it's the narratives that run through um, through our communities around um, what is powerful. Right. What is power and what is health and um, what is able and who gets to win and all of these crazy narratives. And and I absolutely was at the effect of those. So with this diagnosis, um, I thought that I had. Oh, I just thought that I had done something wrong, you know, or that I wasn't doing my work well or like I had to move through all of these um narratives that I think folk might even call imposter syndrome, I guess, you know, no matter how much uh, my work was um, sought after or folk were, you know, there was gratitude still, I thought I was doing something wrong. And and so um, it brought me to a full stop for a moment, like I had to um, be with myself and, and, um, and and be generous and gentle and kind with myself and um and that took some time like for a while i just decided that i was going to um ignore the diagnosis and go my own way and heal myself and not listen even to grace anymore like just you know like um my response was not a wholesome one at first and now i know that it was cuz i was afraid um but after some time and and um and making some wrong choices, I um, I found my way, like after a few months, back to ritual, back to my altar, back to sitting, back to meditation, uh, back to my practice, and back to the guidance of grace. And um, and also I began to, uh, well, Grace had said to me initially with the diagnosis that this is going to create more opportunity to be of service to people which I couldn't see at the time. I can certainly see now. Um, but I I turned toward um, sounding into my own body, sounding into my blood, um, being with my blood in a different way. Uh, I turned toward um, a protocol that involved working with other healers and with doctors um, so that I could um, make sure that I was getting and giving myself the best care. Uh, and and I turned toward making it a testimony, uh, sharing it with others. I've shared it from stages. I've shared it in rooms, you know, um, because of the things that I discovered around um, my own narratives, what I was saying about cancer, um, about the body. Um, it, you know, um, if I may, you know, the whole terminology and notion of fuck cancer. Um, I tried that on for a while. I was like, yeah, you know, that's some place to put the anger. But then I, I started to open that up a bit because language is so powerful and so important. It's like, what am I saying? What am I saying about my blood? What am I saying about my body? You know, am I saying that my blood is is wrong or bad or has failed me? Um, and then I realized that I couldn't separate that sentiment from my own well-being. Um, so I decided that I would take that out of my out of my lexicon. I wouldn't use it anymore. And um, and I would begin to work with cancer like a being, like a being that um, that my intention was that it was passing through. Um, and it still not has dis has not disappeared from my blood, from my blood work. Um, but I stay in my practice and I love up on my blood and um and I sound into my blood and I I do this ritual uh daily and around um knowing that I am well, you know. Um my word is resplendent. And um, and if this is something that I will continue to live with, well, this is how I'm going to live with it. Um and in that way it has been a gift. And it has given me the opportunity to speak to other folk that I get um, the opportunity to work with, like the grace to work with, about their own relationship to cancer in their body, um, and how to turn towards your body and body, excuse me, and love that part of your body that um, that has a tumor, you know, that has a growth. Uh, for me, it is in my blood to love on my blood and not um, and not be unkind to myself. Can I ask you more specifically, when you say sounding into your blood or loving into your blood, can you be more specific? What are you doing? 
in ritual, um, in um, in my visioning, um, in my with my imagination, um, um, what it can sometimes look like is in my morning sit. I will sit. I will prepare my body with breath work and um, and anchoring. Um, um, and then I will begin to vision blood moving through my body um, in a clockwise motion. I will begin to see it flowing through the highways and byways of veins. And I will imagine that when I am sounding, that the sound is penetrating my skin, penetrating um, the vessels, moving into my blood and carrying um, whatever I wish. Sometimes it's it's light. Um, like I'll imagine the sun. Um, sometimes, Tammy, it's the laughter of my grandson, right? It's a sound that evokes joy in my body. And so I'll I'll draw on that joy and I'll send that energy um, through my body because I can, we can, it's my body. It's practice, you know, but I've become very practiced at being able to do that and seeing it move about and then move through my lungs, give that deep breath, move around my heart, and then take the journey again. That's what I do. Okay. So this is a little bit of a, a subtlety, but I want to make sure I understand it. I get how saying, you know, quote unquote, fuck cancer, or this is a war on cancer or whatever, that how that wouldn't quite feel right to something that's living inside of you. I get that. And I also get the idea that this could be a visitor. Hi, you're a visitor. You're passing through. But how do you have like a, hi, you're a visitor. Could you please leave now and sort of have a positive tone at the same time? Or maybe it's not a positive tone, it's neutral. Or I'm just trying to understand that. Like I'm trying to imagine a guest that I want to have leave, how do I do that exactly? Well, I mean, for me, my point of entry, um, I got angry first. Mm -hmm. You know, anger. anger. That part I can understand. Yeah, I was pissed as we stay in Brooklyn. (laughs) And I was allowed, and and I have rituals for moving that. Like I I didn't let it sit in my belly or in my body. You know, I have these wonderful rituals for moving anger. I think you have to share that with us. Yes, yes. yes. One of my favorite parts of the book is your anger, (laughs) anger releasing ritual. Yeah, I got I've never done it, but after hearing you write about it, reading, I'm like, I'm ready to go. But anyway, go ahead, describe that. I take plates, old plates. I'll go to Goodwill and I'll buy 50 cent plates and I'll get like, and patterns I would never put on my table, which is important. And then I'll get a couple of old sheets and I'll fill the sheets with the plates, probably about five of them. And then I'll knot the sheets um, get a hammer. Um, I have a house um, where I'll go in the backyard and I'll start hammering away. I talk to folk about finding a place like, you know, when I lived in Brooklyn, I would go to Prospect Park and find a private place and taking the hammer, being very, very careful, of course, not to harm your own body and not to harm your own body with the swing. So like making that like, you know, and um, there are the asphalt walls in Prospect Park. You place it somewhere that's level and you move the anger. Like you give the anger to the plates and you smash them to bits and you know that you're angry and you get it out of your body. You know, uh, for folk who are not able to work with their body in that way, um, I will um, work with folk around imagining doing it. Like there's something very satisfying about sending your imagination there and seeing it and feeling it. Um, and I love that ritual. Like it works. And and also I can get to the grief that's often just right there under the anger, you know? Um, and so I'll do it till I start to cry, till I start to wail. And uh, And so that was, you know, I had to do that ritual before I could get to the space of holding myself in a generous way. Now, this thing about a guest that you want to leave um, is I'm not going to feed you. You know, I'm not going to feed you with fear. I'm not going to feed you with my imagination, imagining the worst. Um, You know, even in these, I've I've definitely had, I've sat, before I found the doctor that works for me, I've sat with folks that have been really gloomy (laughs) telling me about statistics and, you know, terrible things, nothing that, um, that I could embrace, you know, um, as possibility. Um, And so I don't, 
do that. I don't look at statistics around um, chronic le leukemia. I don't. Um, I don't even read, frankly, uh, the effects of the medicine that I take. You know, I know enough. I have a protocol, but I'm porous. You know, I will create things. You know, uh, from from anything I read, like any like any of us can. Um, and so I treat it like a guest that I'm not going to um, nurture. You know, that I see you, I see you there, but this is still my body. This is my blood, right? And I'm going to claim that ownership of my blood, of my breasts, of my womb, of my, you know, of my body daily. And, and that's how I do it um, with great intention <laughs> and boundaries, um, you know? And I'm really, really close um, in my numbers to remission. So, you know, I keep holding that. That knowing. I think one of the things that I'm curious about is when we pass through those times in our life when our faith gets so shook, meaning here, you know, grace was your touchstone, your one, you know, reliable voice and gave you warnings about things and educated you on all of these things. And yet there was no warning about this. And how did you come back to peace, faith, and trust in that inner relationship, if you will, with the vibration of grace? Hmm. Um, that was something else that became a practice. You know, I'm a I'm a big believer in daily practice. I um we were estranged <laughs> for a bit than me and Grace. Um, because I did, I, I was used to precognitive knowing I was used to getting a flash of a thing, um, after all this time of working that muscle, you know, or having a dream. Um, and there was no warning. Um, and so, uh, I just, um, the more that I ritualized my care, uh, the more that I was able, um, to open the space of, of my spirit again to receive guidance from grace. Um, and that just took the time it took. Um, I, I didn't measure it. Um, if looking back, I would say it maybe took about four or five months um, before I was regularly, you know, sourcing that energy again, um, that medicine from grace. Um, but, I, you know, practice, Tammy, I just, I stayed with it. I stayed with it. And uh, and I and I also forgave myself, you know, this thinking that I had done something wrong. That maybe after working with the energy that I worked with, because grief is big energy, that I didn't clean off my body well enough, or you know, like all of you know, all of these narratives that led to me not doing something right. I just dispelled those. I pulled those. Mm -hmm. and, um, and and also, there's so much that I love here. There's so much that I love. Um, there's people that I love here and, um, and I wanted to stay, you know, and so that was also something to lay us and stay in this body, stay in this realm. And that was also something that propelled me forward. Um, yeah. So that helped as well. Leaning into what I love, um, is, a, is also still a constant source of support. I noticed when you said, I'm a big believer in practice, there was almost a slight little tone of not exactly apologizing, but like, this may not be what you want to hear, friends, or, okay, guys, like, I know this isn't going to be popular, but I've got to, I got to say it like it is. So I'm curious about that. Do you find that it's like, oh, God, you know, I have to do work every day. I have to, you know, do these rituals and scan mm -hmm. my body. Yes. I mean, yes, right. It is definitely, um, we are living in these times. I, you know, it's a, it's a broad brush. I know, but this situation of swiping or scrolling, you know, the immediacy of I, um, you know, what we watch, we become. So if I could turn to some Vista and suddenly I'm there, um, it's immediate and practice is not immediate. Like there are wins, Absolutely. Uh, but I've come to understand that I'll be practicing for the rest of my life. <laughs> like I will be practicing and working with my mind and my thoughts and my breath and my body. It's the price. It's the exchange for embodiment. Right. And so, yeah, it's not sexy. 
<laughs> to a lot of folk, they're like, well, I don't want to do that. Um, but healing requires rigor. It does. It requires something of you. No, not every day I don't sit and scan my blood, right? But through practice, I, I've got, I mean, sometimes I can walk with my walking meditation around um, uh, through the woods, you know, and I can do it at the same time. You know, that's practice. Um, in my Brooklyn, we have a saying, if you stay ready, you don't have to get ready, right? So I stay in practice for the times where, you know, I'm working a lot. I don't have time to sit every day for an hour. I'm going to do this five minute check-in with spirit and then I got to hit the streets, you know, but my practice supports it. Uh, but yeah, you know, anything we do well requires practice. And so, you know, folks get there, but sometimes it can be a bit of a, yeah, come on, a little coaxing, come on. You shared this image and what I saw, at least as you were talking, when you were talking about sovereignty inside our own body and who gets to be there. And that you said in your model, I don't know if you quite called it a model, but in your uh, way of working that you think of this as that this is my place to inhabit only, that this is not the place. And I'd love to hear more about that and what you feel or see or sense as your own space of sovereignty and how you know it's not being occupied by anything that's outside of your own sort of soul's Resonance. I'm not quite sure what language to use, but what what that is like for you? Um, yeah, thank you. That language feels really good. Um, I, I, you know, some of it Tim may have to say, like, I, like any of us who are touched or called to a vocation, it's my wiring. I have always been obsessed with liberation, with freedom, with um, ownership of my being. Um, and um, I mean, from a little girl um, um, in my in the book I share and, um, you know, I, um, a, about abandonment and about um, what being abandoned as a child will um, um, put you at risk for. Right. Where you don't have any bodily autonomy, you know. And um, and so even at that, like moving through the situations where as a little girl, I could not say um, no to anything. Right. I was creating safe space inside of myself with myself. Right. Like I was holding parts of myself in, with the sound of my voice. That was very clear to me. And um, and in, and there's instruction and ritual in the book for that, like being able to decide, discern really what belonged to me, my beating heart, my skin, you know, um, all of my organs, my blood, everything in this being, I own this. Um, what I uh, what is a, a a sort of I'll use the language of a flag for me if I'm not um, owning my mind are incessant or repetitive thoughts that do not serve that don't um, bring me joy make me feel good that don't lift a moment um, that um, are harmful to other people if I'm thinking harmful thoughts um, even about um, you know let's say politicians that I vehemently disagree with, right? But do I want to spend my powerful energy um, deriding them, um, um, you know, um, thinking harmful things? No, I want to, I want to disagree and then turn toward, well, what is a solution, right? Or what can I do? Or what, what is my position to hold? Um, but that is one thing for me when I know that I've, I've sort of left um, a place of sovereignty is when I'm not choosing my own thoughts. You know, um, if I am being driven by a thought as opposed to um, from my back body wisdom, right? If I'm witnessing anything, um, there's plenty of horror happening in the world to witness right now. I, I'm witnessing the horror. I'm having my grief about it. Um, but I am deciding um, to not take in this imagery because it disables me. And then using my power to be of service um, where I can be most useful and also um, uh, um, take care of myself, right? And and um, stay in my body and stay um, in my power, 
Um, and um, and that looks like sound healing sessions with folk, um, working with activists and organizers. I mean, this is you know my vocation. This is my work, but I do believe um, that we all get to say what happens to and within our bodies, um, what we are taking in, what we're ingesting. Um, all of us get to make our bodies a safe haven. And um, and when you've been harmed, that's practice. That takes time. Um, um, if you are like me, um, 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 someone who experienced child sexual abuse, um, so there's a part of your body that right away, as a baby girl, you're told is not yours, right? Um, and through years of ritual and practice, hell yeah, it's mine. <laughs> like I own this. I get to own all of my body. And what happened to me as a child does not get to run my life, right? Um, like we talked about before, but I know that I am not in ownership or possession if those memories start to seep back in, which is why I know I'll be in practice for the rest of my life. There are some, There is some harm that, for which you must practice forever. You know, I believe, and that's good news. I get to do it. Um, but if something happens that will take me back to being five in the ritual of soul retrieval, I will go and get my five-year-old self. I'll go get her, you know, lift her up, put her on my hip, remind her that she is safe and I I got her, you know, those kinds of things. Um, but those are all indicators, right? That I'm outside of my agency. Now, now, people mean different things by soul retrieval. You have a, a very clear practice that you associate with soul retrieval. You were just sort of describing it. I wonder if you can tell people exactly what you do when you find yourself in some part of the past to retrieve that part of your soul that somehow is stuck in that past memory. Yes, thank you for uh, the question and the invitation. And as soul retrieval, yes, there are many, many ways to do this ancient ritual as it comes through my altar as taught to me uh, by grace. It's the literal rescuing of parts of ourselves um, caught in these contorted positions and um, of harm. And um, and so, um, you know, I've talked about my five-year-old self uh, a lot. And um, and that was is because that was the first place of harm, um, of conscious harm that I could access and remember and see and feel. And so she was the first part of myself that I went to bring home to my body, home to the present moment, home where life is happening. And so um, in the ritual, Really, like there, and in most of the rituals, it requires um, uh, creating the conditions, you know. Uh, so um, for me, that would look like um, a space where I'll be alone for a little while, um, um, making sure that I prepare food for myself, tea for myself, water for myself, setting up my care. I also, you know, talk about medicine baths. I love to take a good medicine bath or rinse. It helps calm the energy. It helps to close what you've opened. Um, and in soul retrieval, you imagine, um, you imagine that that one, that little one, or that one from a year ago, right? That part of you that got caught um, in some harm and can't seem to move from it. Um, often um, people are able to do the soul retrieval rituals with themselves, but I do um, let folk know that sometimes you do need a guide, a trusted guide. And in the book as well, there's like a list of resources, you know, folks you can call, practitioners, places to go, um, regional resources where you might get care and uh, guidance, someone to walk beside you. You remember the moment, um, you remember the happening, and then you in 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 your imagination, in your visioning, um, in your spirit, you return as your grown self now. Uh, before you do that, of course, you prepare with agreements. You agree that you are observing that the pain has already happened. It's not going to happen again. That you are the grown person in the room, right? Your grown hands are going to rescue this younger part of yourself, and then you go and get yourself. Um, and, and it depends, of course, on, on what it is you're 
working with, um, but for myself in my own body, um, when my mother uh, left us, left my family and my four siblings, there are five of us, I was on a doorstep, literally on a doorstep in Brooklyn. I helped her downstairs with her things and um, and stood on that doorstep for a really long time, um, waiting, watching, wondering. And so I had to go back to the doorstep and get that baby. I would remember, and then I would go as myself now and see her. And then I would get down to her level and I would ask her permission to gather her in my arms. Sometimes they say no, right? Sometimes, right? So then I just asked her to walk with me. But the invitation is we're leaving this doorstep. I'm going to take care of you. I got you. And then like my five-year-old self loved, like in Brooklyn, there's this, I don't think they make it anymore, but Carvel ice cream, soft serve ice cream. So often in the ritual, I will make sure that I am melting my favorite flavor and that when I'm done, like that's part of the, that's part of the, um, the offering. You know, we're going to have this sweet thing. You're going to sit on my lap. I'm going to hold you. When I first started doing soul retrieval with my five-year-old self, she would come and she would cry. She would cry in my lap, meaning I would cry. You know, I would imagine holding her and I would weep, weeping those tears from that long ago moment. And then after a few weeks, I did it. When I first started, I would do it uh, three times a week. In the morning, I would rise at five. My daughter was... Um, nine and you know I didn't want her to wake obviously and I wanted that time and but you know Tammy I mean really in like a month she wasn't crying anymore right she just wanted that treat you know that that 6 a.m ice cream treat you know which was unheard of in so many it was like naughty it was wonderful it was for us um it created like this opportunity to take care of myself and what I got was to like um, the reclamation of this like precocious, funny, brilliant, sweet aspect of myself that was locked inside of all of this grief. I love five-year-old Gina, you know, she's amazing. Like I need her at my table. Um, of course, also she's five, so she doesn't drive, right? Like, so there are, there's so many um, components. There are some moving parts here. It's all in the book. It's very detailed. Um, but, you know, um, you know, I get to mother her in every wonderful sense of the word. And she stays at the table and she's brilliant. I need her. In the book, uh, Gina, as you mentioned, all of these rituals, you write about them in great detail. In many ways, uh, the vibration of grace, sound healing rituals for liberation, it's sort of like a workbook in a way. I was like, this is kind of like everything's laid out step by step by step by step. And at the same time, it has your uh, personal stories woven throughout. So it's like a workbook, but also with a lot of your own storytelling and examples. And the last question I have for you, because the, uh, you know, a lot of the storytelling, as you've referenced here in our conversation, you talk about heavy things. I mean, there was abandonment as a, as one of five children with uh, your father uh, drinking beer can after beer can. There's uh, your own, uh, memories later in your life of sexual abuse. There's your cancer diagnosis. These are just three off the top of my head. I mean, there's this strange combination of real heaviness and then lightness, like the sound of your grandson laughing that you brought forward in this conversation that I can somehow uh, hear in my imagination. I thought such an interesting combination mm -hmm. of like real heaviness, gravitas, going through real difficulty and grief, rituals, etc. And then this like pure kind of celebratory, uh, bubbly light. And I, I wonder how you see that combination. Mm, thank you for the question. And, uh, you know, Tammy, I have, I have several missions right, while I'm here. One of them is to normalize grief. And one of them is to like unpack our narratives, right? Um, it's life. Life is lifing, right? 
I know so many people, right, um, that are personal to me or that I've got to be in circle with or that I've read about that have had very similar experiences. Um, you know, everyone is grieving something. And um, and so I, I want to shift the thought of, of heavy or light, if I may, to like we're living. This yeah. is happens in this bodysuit, right? Um, you know, the trauma of losing suddenly a loved one, a wedding, a birth, like all, you know, we're living day to day. Um, gosh, I mean, all the things and all the places we're dealing with right now, right? What's happening globally um, to the in the world community. And, and I can laugh and roll around the floor with my grandson, right? I consider that grace. And um, and I would say that all of us, and prayerfully, most of us have that grace running through the day. Something that will make you laugh. Something that you taste that will make you remember. Ooh, something sumptuous. Um, I mean, like all the things, all the senses that we might have access to, um, the ways in which we enjoy art um, and seek it, right? Um, or the natural world. Like there's, it's just living living and um and giving each other permission to have the full range of our feelings without all of the narratives around burden being a burden or not being powerful or all of the upside down you know shifting the reign of the upside down <laughs> like no we have to figure it out and i think that we are you know how to be um with our organic responses and um and all that that might mean and um and so um that's my sense of it like i'm sharing my life i think that testimony is a powerful teacher um and you can read that book and meet me and 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 see that i'm wonderful you know i have grief i have grief i have struggle i have to work with things still from my childhood and oh 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 how i love that first sip of morning coffee do you know what I mean? Um, I love my partner. She's amazing, right? Like I have so much joy in my life and I get joy from watching other people's joy, which I think is always possible as well. Just like I grieve watching other people's grief. It is the human condition and the human spirit. Um, I believe, I know. And so um, that's my take. <laughs> that's my take. I've been speaking with Gina Breedlove. Thank you so much. The author of the new book, The Vibration of Grace, Sound Healing Rituals for Liberation. Thank you, Gina. Thank, Thank you, you for the great gift that is The Vibration of Grace. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you for having me. And if you'd like to watch Insights at the Edge on video and participate in the after show Q&A session with our guests, Come join us on Sounds True One, a new membership community featuring award-winning original shows, live classes, community learning, guided meditations, and more with the leading wisdom teachers of our time. Use promo code PODCAST to get your first month free. You can learn more at join.soundstrue.com. Sounds True, waking up the world.